Welcome to the BBSI Entrepreneurs Podcast, the show where we talk about the challenges business owners face every day. We'll share the insights and tools you need to find your business strategy, better manage your teams, and mitigate any risks standing in the way of your success. I'm your host, Lauren Gelfand, Director of Marketing and Communications at BBSI. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we're talking to Stephanie Woodward, BBSI Benefits Consultant, about the ins and outs of healthcare benefits and why you should be offering health benefits to your employees. Welcome, Stephanie. Thanks, Lauren. I appreciate the introduction and that you guys are just having me here today. I look forward to talking more about employee benefits and everything that BDSI has to offer. Well, I'm excited to talk to you as well. You and I talked about having you on the podcast, I think maybe a month ago when we were discussing the BBSI new benefits program. And I thought it'd be great to have you on just to inform our our listeners, our business owners out there and our partners about the ins and outs of benefits, because it's really a complicated industry. It's a complicated environment, especially now. But before we dive in, I'd love to get a little bit more of your background. I know that you've been working in the health benefits space for a long time. So tell us a little bit about what you've done before you came to BBSI. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. So yeah, I've been in the industry, I would say straight after graduation from Oregon State. So gosh, about eight years now. So I graduated at 21. I majored in public health. I wasn't anticipating coming into the insurance industry. It kind of typically finds the people that aren't expecting to be in it. But from there, right after graduation, I went to Providence Health Plans, which is more of a local Oregon health insurance carrier and worked in their Medicare and Medicaid side of the insurance industry, and then moved over to the broker side. So we worked for a small brokerage that actually ended up getting acquired by a much larger national brokerage. And then from there, I had transitioned from working in small group and middle market size employers to significantly larger employers when that acquisition occurred. I got a lot of different experience from, gosh, three employees to sometimes upwards of 600 or 1,000. And then from there, I actually started working on the PEO side of things with BBSI. So all my experience was mostly in that broker side of things and do have a little bit of carrier experience as well. Well, I think that's great. That's a wide breadth of experience that you bring with us today. And that's why I was so excited to talk to you about this because I know that I've been confused in the past, just making selections from an employee side and not to mention what, you know, a small business owner must be thinking when they're tasked with either finding health insurance for their business, or they've left their employees out to be on the open market plans. I do know that the labor market is tight today. And I know that a lot of companies are really battling it out to find employees. And I've read, I read recently, there was a Gallup poll that cited 61% of the workforce considers a work-life balance and increased well-being when assessing a new position. And another 64% said better payer benefits would matter most pointing to the mindset that benefits are equally as important as compensation. So tell me in your mind, working with this wide variety of companies, why do you feel that offering health benefits as an employer is so important? Yeah, I I think you nailed it with the comment you said earlier about being confused, right? Just going through open enrollment, that navigating that in and of itself can be honestly really overwhelming. I think that that's a good word to use for it. And, And a lot of people don't know where to even start. So the beauty of having a consultant or any kind of broker is really beneficial and can also help to tackle the why behind developing an employee benefits package that's super competitive, especially from a retention and recruitment standpoint. So kind of to transition into that, 
I would say more to answer the why is offering health insurance so important question. And there's tons of reasons and ways to answer this. So just to rattle off a few of them to start, I would say consumer. So on the employee level, employer level, I would even say on the insurance carrier level, there are so many different ways to view and answer this question. So from the employee level, people often, what we know of, at least from what we're hearing just day-to-day in the industry and financial struggles, a lot of people file for bankruptcy because medical bills are so high and they just don't have that kind of savings built up. In and of itself, on the highest level, that's why medical insurance is so important. You need to have something in place with an out-of-pocket maximum that can actually allow for you to know and predict what your liability is in a given calendar year. What's the maximum I would have to pay out of pocket if the worst case scenario occurred, right? That's transparency. That helps employees understand, okay, my employer is giving me this. This is super important so that I understand where my money would go if the worst case scenario happened and what it would cost out of pocket. So just in short, insurance is really important in order to avoid astronomical healthcare costs, and to also ensure the financial well-being of individuals and families. On the employer level, I would say health insurance is a great tool for employee recruitment and retention, just like what we said earlier. So there are lots of employers out there, more and more of them even, that are offering competitive benefits packages, which oftentimes are referred to as part of an employee's overall compensation. So it's not just the dollars in and out from a business perspective for an employer. It's really how can we figure out how to compose and deliver the best employee benefits package possible so that we are hiring great productive employees and keeping them on for long periods of time instead of seeing high turnover year over year. Employers also could miss out on the opportunity to hire a great job candidate, right? If they don't offer a benefits package and somebody else that that individual is interviewing with does, that's a huge missed opportunity. How can we edit what we're offering to our employees and even our job candidates to kind of get them hook, line, and sinker, for lack of a better phrase, to come work for a great company that offers also great benefits in addition to that compensation? So I would say it's definitely different with the lens you're viewing it from, right? An employee will see it a little bit differently than an employer, but there's a lot to the importance of offering health insurance. I love that you hit on the costs because I think that that's what's on everybody's mind when they think of health insurance, whether they're on the employer or the employee side. But the cost of healthcare is is very high in the United States, especially right now. And I think it's mm-hmm. important for employers to consider those things when they are talking about their total compensation, right? Because it applies to both sides for the employee to make sure that they can plan for that, for the unexpected to a certain extent, and for the employers to know that, hey, I've got employees that are here that feel comfortable in that situation and know that they won't be bankrupt if something happens because they're offering them a competitive benefits plan. I think that that's fantastic for retention and recruitment. I love that you went that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the time in the broker world and in the, you know, the sales world, right? I'm in a consultant role, right? Selling is part of my role. But I think a lot of the times it gets, the reason for it gets kind of lost in the sauce that is 
all the different options you have. And I think it's just important to come back to the root of all of this. And and that's that financial stability that employers can really give to their employees by offering them a very competitive and robust health insurance product. Absolutely. Now, I imagine there's some business owners out there that say, oh, well, you know, I can't afford to offer a health plan to my employees, but they can always go out and get that on the exchanges. And I know that a lot of things have changed since the Affordable Care Act was enacted quite a few years ago now, and it looks like it is here to stay and it's not going anywhere. How have you seen the Affordable Care Act change sort of the landscape, the benefits landscape out there? Yeah, that's definitely a loaded question for sure. (laughs) It has changed it in many, many ways. I mean, mostly compliance, and I'll get into that a little bit, but it has resulted in many, many checks and balances, like I mentioned, from a compliance perspective. And that's where potentially PEO partners can come in, like BBSI, to help mitigate and alleviate small business employers, even larger ones of those compliance complexities that the ACA has kind of initiated in that regard. I would say number one is compliance from the ACA's perspective. Uh And then also just from the requirements that come from the ACA, right? That really ties into compliance holistically. But for instance, what is an applicable large employer, right? A lot of people don't know the answer to that right off the top of their head if they're not a broker or a licensed insurance professional. They aren't aware. A lot of business owners that kind of toe the line, for lack of a better phrase, of being a large employer, which in Oregon is is 51 plus employees, full-time equivalents. Those employers know, hey, I have to offer health insurance per the ACA because I'm an ALE. We should call them ALEs for short. So that's when they're, they're thinking, okay, If I'm offering this, how much do I have to, how much skin do I have to have in the game, right? And contributing towards premiums for employees. Right. How many people are going to enroll? Are there participation minimums that are required per BBSI's master benefit plan contract? Or is it that way for any open market plans? There are so many different pieces that come into play for ALEs and even for those small employers, right? If they're 50 and under, There's still ACA regulations and many of them that have really changed the framework of how we think of offering benefits since it went into effect. So lots of pivoting had to occur and people who were already in the industry had to really edit the way that sales were happening and pay more attention to compliance overall. It consolidated the industry quite a bit, didn't it? Yes. Yes. And did that affect... I guess it affects the the carriers that are offering the plans out there. But I mean, the carriers can offer a large number of plans for each of them, right? So there's still lots of variety of plan designs, but there are just a lack of, well, smaller carriers out there, regional carriers, right? It's, it's kind of slimmed down to those big five. That's a great segue into what options are there, right? Yeah. What is there? What is there that's out there? And I would say there are big, like you said, the big five, we call those BUCA in our industry, but they are, you know, your Blues, your United Healthcare's, your Kaiser's, which are more the HMO side, but they're still very big. And then you've got Aetna, just to name a few. There are some really big heavy hitters out there, but it's really just helped to, I think, consolidate 
is the best way to put it and simplify things for the consumer and for the employer. But the unfortunate side of that is it kind of overcomplicates compliance for them. And not a lot of people want to just focus on compliance as exciting as it can be. (laughs) A lot of people don't just want to say, okay, I want to know all about employee benefits and the compliance that comes along with it, right? That's where you hire an employee benefits attorney if you're a large enough employer and you have somebody in place or an HRC, human resources consultant, to help you understand the nuances that come into play with the ACA and what's actually out there from a carrier perspective and why the ACA kind of did what it did to the industry. The compliance must scare a lot of people off. I mean, there's so many requirements. That could be a whole separate episode of this podcast just to talk about compliance. Maybe not as exciting as this one, but still quite a bit to know in that area. But I want to get back to all the different plans. So it consolidated somewhat the carriers, but there's still a tremendous amount of different plan options within those carriers. So can you tell me a little bit about just from a high level, some of the most common kinds of plans, and then also some of the categories, you know, I was reading that there's medical ancillary, and then of course, the consumer accounts, which is like an additional, but tell me, tell me a little bit about some of those most common types of health plans that maybe a small to medium sized employer could potentially have access to. Yeah. And I guess to clarify, Lauren, from a plan perspective by kinds, are you talking medical, dental, vision, all that, or just different kinds of medical plans that are out there? So like fully insured, self-funded, level funded, all that? Yeah, I think I think those first, okay. just to give a little idea of the landscape, not into too much detail, but just from a high level. And then, yeah, I think also once we discuss that adding in, what is ancillary and what comes along with that? Because for a business owner, you know, they may buy into a great medical plan that has terrible ancillary coverage and maybe no consumer accounts options. So I think those are good things to think about as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think just detail into different kinds of health insurance options that are out there is is a good place to start. As you Mm -hmm. mentioned, there's countless types of insurance plans that a company can offer to its employees. These, I would say, include, but are not limited to fully insured plans through large carriers, level funded plans, which we Again, could be a totally different podcast episode to discuss. There's self-funded plans administered through TPAs. There's minimum essential coverage or what we call MEC for short plans. So, and that's again, another one where you kind of get offering a plan because of the ACA and its requirements, but you're only offering the minimum essential coverage that's outlined per the ACA. There's your MEC plans. And then there's also ones that are direct primary care or what we call DPC plans that are out there as well. So that's where you can go into a doctor that's contracted with a DPC kind of overarching contract, for lack of a better phrase, and they have set costs. So it's very, very transparent. It's not, oh, I'm going to have this surgery or anything like that. It's it's just, oh, I need to go in and see a doctor. It's going to be $80 out of pocket. And typically, MEC plans and DPC plans are significantly less expensive in premium costs because they're not as robust as a fully insured plan is. Uh-huh. So lots of different avenues out there for small, large, middle market sized employers. And then there's also the options for adding ancillary. We, we love to refer to those add-on things. So dental, vision, life insurance, short-term disability, long-term disability, critical illness, accident, all of those plans we refer to as quote-unquote ancillary plans. So you've got your, your medical, which is the big one. And then next to that, employers can add additional coverages to offer to their employees. 
Those can be offered on a voluntary basis if one, if an employer wants to do that, but there's on the medical side a requirement for a contribution level for employers. So it's kind of a give and take. If you want to offer medical, you got to pay a certain percentage of the contributions for your employees for those premiums. And then on the other side, if you want to offer, say, just dental and vision next to that medical, those can be offered totally on a voluntary basis. So the employer actually doesn't have to contribute to those. Oh, that's interesting. So the, what you were talking about on the medical, that would be an employer-sponsored health plan, correct? Correct. Yep. Is there set amounts per plan of what the employer has to contribute? So I would imagine the business owner would be talking to their broker or their benefits consultant and saying, all right, here's how much I think I could spend maybe per employee per month or some calculation like that. I imagine that could flex depending on the plans you choose. Yeah. So most of the BBSI plan offerings, well, not most, all of them, we require a minimum contribution on the employer side of 50% of the cost of the lowest cost plan. If you chose, say, let's do easy numbers, a $500 premium plan that say has a $5,000 deductible, just use easy numbers, 50% of that, so $250 a month would be paid for by the actual employer uh-huh. And then at a minimum, the 250 that remains would be paid for by the employee. Now, if you wanted to put two other plans next to that, so there's buy-up plan options, you can absolutely do that and you can contribute 50% or more. So if, say you want to change it to 80 or 90 or even 100% of the employee-only cost, that's where the employer would be on the hook for having to pay towards premiums. I think that's probably a a big consideration when the employers are looking at the plans is is the financial outlay. And I think that probably holds a number of business owners back from providing the options because number one, it's confusing and complex. Compliance is an issue, but also the amount that the employer spends on that plan is likely limited by what they think they can contribute. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of employers, we're seeing at least... A whole gamut, right? We'll see 50% for one employer, we'll see 100% for another, and some will even contribute to dependents. Really, it just depends on kind of the bottom line for the business and what they can afford. But the cool thing is they're tailorable. So we're not just going to have to pigeonhole them into, you have to pay 100% of this employee-only premium. They're kind of stuck, you know, at least if they want to start at 50%, which is, you know, the lowest that they can contribute and work their way up as the business starts to kind of boom and get off the ground, then they should by all means take that route. But the beauty of having a consultant in place, especially with BBSI's PEO approach, is we sit down and work with you through that. So there's lots of different options. We can kind of tailor everything to each employer while offering everything from a master benefit plan contract standpoint. So Lots of flexibility, I would say, is a good word. Tell me a little bit more about that process. So let's say you're sitting down with a new employer. You've never met with the business owner before. Let's say that they're, you know, small, medium size, you know, below that 50 threshold, at least here for the state of Oregon. What kind of questions are you going to start asking them to sort of get them on the right path and to think about what plans should be presented? Yeah. So from our perspective, what we do... Obviously, we've got the field out and they're, they're doing all the data gathering. They're finding these awesome prospects for us to sit down and present to. Even existing clients, honestly, we're tapping into that market as well. So it's it's very similar approach because we want to make sure that we're giving everyone that, like I said, flexibility and that tailorable option and proposal. What we do is 
once we get all the information that you need, so those three big requirements, and I know you were with me at the training we had a couple months ago, but those three big requirements are what's most important so we can even generate a proposal. So those include a census up to date. So that's all your employee demographics. So first, last name, age and date of birth, sex assigned at birth, and zip code. Those are the four big players that we need on a census so that we can underwrite everything. So we need that. Number one is that census. Number two is the most up-to-date version of their invoice. It can't be older than 30 days. We want to see who's on the plan, compare that to the census, and make sure what we have is accurate as possible, right? Because we're talking big money here. We want to make sure that the premiums are accurate on our proposals based on the enrollment for the groups. So we've got your census, your invoice of the last 30 days. And then last but not least is a copy of the plan design. Plan designs can come in the form of a plan summary or preferably on our end, a summary of benefits and coverage that really shows, okay, they're at this level of a deductible now. We can offer them this level of a deductible on our plan. We want to try to see how we compare to their current plan designs and, and if we're even able to kind of improve those for them in the process. If they don't have benefits in place, all we need from them from those big three items is that census. So we can see what the population looks like and how things map out from a pricing perspective. And then you'll take that information and look at the available plan designs and select a few plans that fit their profile the best. Is that how that works? Yep. So our underwriters take all that information in and then they essentially plug it into a, that we have an AI underwriting tool. It's pretty cool. And they just look at that population and say, okay, based on this information, and they never share any protected health information with anyone, but the system takes that based on that information, they underwrite it, and then they generate a proposal, which is where the consultant really comes in and we start doing our work, right? How can we develop a strategy in this proposal to edit contribution levels, potentially save money if we can, or propose more rich benefits for maybe equal to or a little bit more cost for an employer. So it's really all strategy with them. And those things are editable even after we propose to them, right? Nothing's absolutely set in stone until they say, yes, we want to go with these plans, with these costs, they sign their stuff, and then we get that all built out in our system. So they have a lot of flexibility in that regard. And then they have a lot of consultative approaches and time. Lots of good good checks and balances there to make sure that whatever we're developing for the client or the prospect is a best fit for their population. I love that part of it. I think your role is so critical. I wish that I had a benefit consultant for all the times that I've worked for an employer on the employee side and I had to pick you know, what plan options I wanted from what they were presented. And I can imagine from an employer standpoint, the same thing applies. Like you want somebody there that is knowledgeable about the industry, has the experience to say, yes, this is going to be tremendously helpful for your business, for your employees, and here's how we can make it work for you. Because I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there about health insurance from the employer's standpoint. I imagine you've heard quite a few of those. Are there any that, that stick out in your mind where you were like, come on? Oh, yeah. There's tons of misconceptions. And and to kind of piggyback on what you were saying from, you know, wishing you had someone to talk you through kind of that process. The cool thing about what we do is once we get everything signed, sealed and delivered, our consultants actually conduct open enrollment meetings on behalf of the employer too. 
So it doesn't, the buck doesn't stop once the sale is made, right? We continue to partner with those employers to make sure that we educate their employees to be good health insurance consumers. Consumerism is a huge part of this. And that's, I think, where a lot of those misconceptions come into play, right? I don't understand this. I want nothing to do with it. I'm going to pick the cheapest plan and, you know, wash my hands of it until next year, right? Or all they care about is taking our money and I don't even use my benefits ever and all sorts of misconceptions from employees. Like we hear it on many different levels. The, the beauty of actually conducting those open enrollment meetings is teaching, okay, what's a deductible? What's an out-of-pocket maximum? What am I most liable for in a given calendar year? What are my co-pays? What happens if I totally go out of network and don't go to a doctor who would charge the in-network rate, right? What what does that mean? How does this all contribute to my financial well-being as an employee of ABC company? There's a lot of different approaches that we want to take, especially from a PEO standpoint, to make sure that we are pushing good health insurance consumerism, but also knowing that we need to educate first as opposed to assume that people really understand what we're offering. I think that is such a key point. I got to imagine that there have been a lot of employers who roll out health plans and people don't sign up because they are confused about what those plans are or they're overwhelmed with too many options that are out there. And so they just sort of shut down and they don't sign up. And then the employer is left wondering, I spent all this time and money and effort putting this great plan out there and nobody's on it. Right. Yeah. And a lot of employers face that because they don't have a solid partnership or you know, and maybe maybe in their broker or they've gone out and done it on their own or whatever it is, whatever the hurdle might be for them. They don't have that that partnership and kind of camaraderie with a consultant or a business like BBSI that can really come out and give them a lift where they need it and, and really push participation and make sure that people understand what they're getting and they're not just paying premiums for no reason, right? And if they feel that way, can we offer a plan that's lower cost but has a little bit more bells and whistles associated with it that, like you mentioned earlier, on top of the ancillary benefits, right? We've got flexible spending account options. We've got health savings account options. Lots of different ways to kind of, I would say, combine strategic approaches to make the package as diverse as possible for whatever kind of employee comes your way. Right. And you're going to keep the employees that you have because they're going to be engaged with that plan and know that they have a good benefit program. And you're going to attract better employees to your organization, especially in this difficult labor market. I mean, I think about the ancillary things as being such a value add to all of these plans, all those different ancillary benefits and the consumer accounts, even down to like parking and transit. And, you know, where I live, they're looking at putting a toll on the bridge to get to work, that it'll be a, a significant financial impact to anybody that is commuting from, you know, 10 miles away where there's another state right there. And so I think, you know, is that kind of stuff included in some of those consumer account plans that come along with it? So there's so many different options beyond the standard, just medical and then dental and vision that I think most people think about. Yeah, absolutely. There's, I mean, within the FSA, you nailed it. There's that, there's parking and transit that can be a part of that. There's dependent care. So daycare, huge cost 
huge cost for folks who have kids and, and have to take them to daycare or else they can't work. Right. You know, there's a lot of different things that play into employee benefits that people don't oftentimes think through because they haven't been through those situations or needed to understand what they entail. Like I said, flexibility is really key in offering a robust benefits package and also understanding your employee population. Employers know their employees best. And the more they can tell us about what they've got going on, the better we can tailor their plans for them. So Stephanie, in the number of years you've been in the industry, I imagine lots of things have changed and they're continuing to. Is there anything that comes to mind when you look at how the industry is evolving in the next couple of years and into the foreseeable future? Is it becoming more accessible? Are there more plans out there? Are employers more interested in providing plans? What do you kind of see as the future of where the healthcare industry is at now? Yeah, I think there are a lot of ways that the insurance industry and and healthcare in general is going right now. One trend that I'm seeing a lot of is people are struggling with access to mental health providers, right? When we had COVID hit, that was a big checks and balance for people to really evaluate where they're at with their mental health and start to prioritize that a little bit more. It's not just your physical well-being, it's your mental well-being, it's your spiritual well-being, it's you know the whole gamut, right? People are wanting to take better care of themselves mentally as opposed to just physically. And all of that stuff is intertwined. So when you have a shortage of mental health providers, as an example, you have people who can't get appointments for a month or a month and a half. And how does that carrier who offers your benefit plans for your employees, how does that carrier pivot? How does the industry pivot to make sure that we are fulfilling a need and a demand when the supply is kind of at a low? What some carriers have done is they've actually created their own programs that are more behavioral health specific so that there are physicians or psychiatrists or therapists on demand. 24-7 for people to call. Easily get on a phone call, talk to them, do a virtual visit, and then create a program to help improve any mental health that might be coming up. There's also been a lot of carriers on even the ancillary side of things. So like I said earlier, your dental vision, life, all those that have embedded employee assistance programs into their coverage to help with such things. So mental health, legal matters, financial matters, building a will. So carriers are really pivoting to make sure that they are filling a hole where needed. But there's also, gosh, there's so many different things that have changed. I would say number one, though, on the forefront of a lot of people's minds is accessibility to care. And that's not only on the mental health side of things. It's also from a primary care physician side of things, from a specialist care side of things, getting x-rays, getting MRIs, things are just fewer and further in between because of the way the state of the economy, things have changed since COVID started. And now that it's finally starting to dwindle for some people, the access to care has just been really on the forefront of everyone's minds. So I think that that's, I would say, number one. I find that one really interesting. I see more urgent care type clinics pop up all over the place. Those minute clinics that are in your your local pharmacies and your local, you know, Walgreens CVS type of stores out there. And then the telehealth, I think is amazing. Yeah. Just being able to see someone face to face and tell them what's going on. 
I know we've used that in our family and it, it provides you a much quicker result than waiting months out for an appointment to get to see your primary care and then being referred out to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Telehealth has been a huge game changer for big carriers, small carriers, local providers. It has really changed the framework of how even I think on the physician level too, how they operate it gives them a lot more time to chart in between appointments and make sure the notes that they're taking on a given patient is as thorough as possible. Not that they weren't before, but it just gives them more flexibility and ability to do their job better, in my humble opinion, because they have time to focus on that. And a telehealth visit or teledoc or any virtual visits you can do through Kaiser, as an example, those are a lot quicker typically, right? So you go for not as important of matters as less urgent matters or emergent matters. So the goal is to, hey, get on with your doctor and say, I've got XYZ symptoms. They say, okay. Sometimes you can even send a picture if it's dermatology and they can look mm -hmm. at a mole and say, oh, I think you're good or okay, no, come in, let's get a closer look. But it's really that simple. Some carriers have even pivoted to being able to send messages directly to your doctor's office and say, hey, do you think I should come in for this? This is what I'm experiencing, right? Or access to nurse helplines. There's all kinds of different ways that the industry has really had to adapt, especially since COVID hit and the accessibility issues we're seeing. I think we're going to continue to see a lot of adaptation year over year, especially in the near future. Well, I'm impressed at all those updates and those moving forward, and especially everything's digital now. So it's all able to be shared amongst the different providers and the different carriers. You know, I hope that to our business owners that are out there listening today, that we've given you some real good information about what plans are out there, what questions to ask yourself, and how accessible it is to get some plans for your employees in order to grow your business and improve your business. I mean, that's a big reason that we launched this podcast was to provide that information. And Stephanie, you've been just absolutely fantastic today and providing all that knowledge and experience from your years in the industry. And I just want to thank you for being on the episode today. And I want to thank all our listeners that were on the episode today. If you're a business owner out there and you're looking for more resources to support your business, you can visit our website at bbsi.com. And you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter, the BBSI Insider. We'd also love it if you'd subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss out on the latest insights from our BBSI business professionals. Thanks again, Stephanie. Yep, thank you.